welcome back to another episode. Today we have Anthony Trucks with us. He is a former NFL athlete, American Ninja Warrior on NBC, speaker, author of Identity Shift, and coach seen on Good Morning America and Fox. So welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. Pumped to have you here. So a uh, question I normally like to start out with is like when you were younger, like that introduction that I just read, when you were younger, is that introduction what you saw in your future at all uh, or way different? Great question. I, you know, I don't think it was by any means. I mean, statistically, no one would have thought that was a thing because you grow up in foster care. Statistically, 75% of inmates in prisons in America are former foster kids half the homeless population and then like one percent of us graduate college so statistically absolutely not that mm. was not in the cards but at the same time i mean you know no, nothing really is for anybody we have to make yeah. something i just started i guess a little bit farther behind the ball than most people so when you uh i guess when did you start realizing that you liked uh football or when did you start thinking that that could be a direction that was uh just like 12 11 or 12 and it wasn't a direction it was like i was a kid and i was like i want to play football and when i tried the first time i sucked at it i was like i'm trash literally i was like really really bad at the game the first couple of years <laughs> i was like dude like it, it's just because anytime you try something new you know obviously you remember the fact that you suck at it and so that was the thing i felt like man i kind of suck at this stupid thing but the more you try something the better you can get and so over the years like i started finding some way to get better at the game and it turned into something cool when i realized it could actually be something that was at like, I want to say like 16, 17. I'm like, I'm getting college scholarship letters. Like, hey, I might actually be able to do something with this. And it might turn into something I could get a, a career doing scholarship stuff on. And then it turned into something cool. So it began with me having no intentions whatsoever of actually being anything great at it. Because I didn't even start till I was 14. Mm. Most kids are playing when they're like, you know, 8, 9, 10. I didn't start till I was 14. And then all of a sudden did my thing. And that's what it turned into. So, and then we can move forward, but I, I do want to learn a little bit more about your story. So you were in foster care. Yeah. Um, like, did you meet your parents um, like ever or like how, how did that, how did that occur? What's that story? Uh, I, you know, I saw my real biological mom. I met her when I, when I was a kid, kid, I did a couple of times, but then it ended up being somewhere like I'm like at 14 years old, I had to go into a court. And actually, you know, look her in her eyes and tell her, I no longer want you to be my mom anymore and sever what's called parental rights. Parental rights are those rights that, that force her to have control over what I can and can't do and stop me from playing. So, like, I did see her the last time in person at 14, talk to her again at 20. And mm. it was like right after I'd had my son. It was oddly like right before I found my real father. So it was kind of a weird little bubble there. Wow. Okay. And then do you have a good relationship with your biological parents? Uh, my mom, no, she's a ghost. We seriously can't find her. There's a TV show that wanted me to go do it called, um, what is it called? Relative Race, where you travel the country and you find relatives. And we couldn't find her. Like, we couldn't find her. Like, it doesn't happen. Like, we have the best skip tracers in the world. They can't find her. Not only that, she's not dead because that would have popped up, you know, but literally she is a ghost somewhere. So wow. yeah, no one knows where she's at. And then my, my biological father, I found him at 20 years old. And uh, he passed away nine years after I met him. Mm, got it. Got it. Okay. Um, and then, so you had a son. How old were you when you had the son? Uh, I was twenty. I well, he, we got oh, pregnant at nineteen. And I think, uh, yeah, I think we. I almost turned. I turned twenty-one a month after he was born. Wow. Okay. So you had a lot going on at a young age. 
real I, young dude. I met yeah. my mom money. My I or my real mom because the thing was I met my dad after I met my dad. Soon after I had a kid, my mom wanted to meet him. I was like, nah, you ain't coming to meet this guy. And then I lost contact <laughs> with her. I kept contact with my dad, but night. So the thing is, he's like, I had no idea you existed. I apologize. My very first collegiate start, we played against uh, Mississippi State. Uh, it was in, it was away. It was my first collegiate start. National television. We won the game. I got a game ball. That ball right there. I got oh, that yeah. game ball. And I uh, <laughs> met my dad. And so that was kind of a cool thing. And then nine years later, he, he before he passed away, he goes, "Hey, I got to let you know, I did know about you all those years." I just didn't know how to say anything to you about it. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is wild. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, what's interesting to me, I always say like, have you ever heard of Alan Watts? Um, sounds familiar. Can't say that I recall perfectly though. He's kind of like a, a, a spiritual guy, if you will. And okay. what he kind of talks about is like, you, you wouldn't know the light unless you experience the dark. So in a sense, like, I feel like you, like you've been through so much at a young age that now you're like equipped that probably like you can just handle stuff now. I would imagine. Yeah, this, uh, you're like, this is nothing. Man. <laughs> like, I already the quote I love, the quote goes, uh, a smooth sea makes not a skilled sailor. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that's a better way to say it. Yeah. So people ask, like, are you sad that that happened? I'm like, nah, I mean, to be honest. A lot worse could happen, but while I don't like that it happened, I appreciate every moment of it because it did create a different strength in me. So yeah, it's totally cool. It's again, I wouldn't wish it upon other people, and I wouldn't even like want to experience it again, right? But but yeah. I'm not going to sit here and be like, ah, oh, I, I would take it out of my life because I I think all the things we have in our life are beneficial. Because if you think about um, think about that game back in the day where like there's like little sticks they put in a plastic tube, a bunch of sticks go in, they put a marble on top or marbles, right? Oh, yeah, I remember that game, yeah. You're pulling these sticks out, and the marbles, if the marbles fall through, like, you lose, right? So my thing is, like, every one of our stories is kind of like one of these sticks. And if I'm holding these marbles up of what I've created in life, do I really want to test which stick to pull out and hope I can keep them up? Mm, yeah, so that is good right there. Mm -hmm. Keep it all in, man. Yeah, my brain works funny. It's I, I think in pictures. That, that's a better picture for me to explain. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And it's almost like... The thing of like, even if something, you know, bad happened in the past, like it would, you would be different today, right? If it hadn't yeah. happened. So it's like, would you go back and change it if you could? It's like, well, I don't know because yeah. I would be different then. So it would yeah, be a different no. thing. I'd be completely different. I'm like, nah, I'm cool. Keep me as I am, dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I do want to talk about your book and, and everything else, but I, uh, with your son, um like what's that relationship like so you were because you were like kind of like a kid raising a kid like 20 is an adult oh, right so like no I, I was started... raising a kid for sure man me and my high school we were high school sweethearts and like uh oh yeah yeah me, well, yeah we were high school sweethearts we were in the yearbook cutest couple in the yearbook no lie that's awesome man okay. 100%. and then we uh we had a kid we had two more kids later we got three in total but i've I've loved my kids. I, I think the thing for me growing up in foster care is like when I had the opportunity to like, this is my kid, it was big. Like I've never, I've never once had a feeling of like, oh, I don't want to be a dad, like not even an inkling. It's always been this thorough joy to be a dad. It's not easy, but I always have like, I've always loved being a father. So yeah, no part of me had a weird, weird thought with that, but I did it all young for sure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like it is. It's like that thing where it's like, 
there's pros and cons to both of it. I see the biggest pro with having kids young is like, now you're going to have so much life with your kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas if you wait until you're like, um, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, you know, you don't have as much time, but 20, it's like, he almost becomes like your friend. It, like yeah. literally like you're similar. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. 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 No, I totally do. I totally get it, man. It's, I've actually thought the same exact way. Like that's kind of the, uh, it's been this thing where in my head, I always look at it perspective is like, you, you do get to spend more time while alive with the kids, you know, like that's the big thing is, it's like, you can have kids later, but you miss out on most of their life. Whereas for me, like I get to hang with them a whole heck of a lot longer. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I'm sure. So when were you on uh, American Ninja Warrior? Uh, I was, it was uh 2017, 18, 19, I want to say. Oh, okay. So then you're at least your first son, he got to see that. Well, all my kids get to see a ninja warrior because my kids are 17 and 12. Well, my twins are 12. My oldest oh. is almost 17. Yeah, I got I got my kids going to college next year, dude. One of them <laughs> going to college. Yeah, I'm I'm weirdly I when I had them young, you just start life young. So yeah. they all they were all present for Ninja Warrior. My youngest oldest son was present for some of football, but none of the other stuff. He doesn't even remember any of it anyways. Okay, got it. And wh- where's your son looking at for college? Uh, we have no idea. He wants to go to Oregon because that's where I went. Oh, okay. Nice. That but makes sense. We shall see. He's, he's a track guy. He's a, he's a guy that, that needs to kind of, uh, he needs to figure out that, that like it's a different level. Cause I grew up with a little bit of a different tick, you know, cause for me, it's like, Hey bro, like uh, you got to survive. He's like got everything he needs, you know? So different yeah. kind of grit. but no, he's a great athlete. He, uh, he runs track. He loves it. And hopefully gets a chance to go to all, all he was born in Eugene. Like he was born in college. So it'd be cool for him to go to the same area where he was born, you know? Full circle. That would be cool. I like that. Um, so, and then you, when did you write the book Identity Shift? So I wrote that last year. I think it was like 2020. The idea had been out for a while, but I hadn't actually turned like decided to turn into a book. I was talking to a guy who was, uh, who was like, hey, I got this publisher if you want to publish this book. Cause I've been writing these things down and and I hadn't really turned it into a book. It was just ideas. And so one person goes, hey, I got a publisher guy. You want to talk to him about maybe really writing the book? And I was like, ah, maybe. So I talked to the publisher. I'd been tucking away ideas and concepts and, and methodologies and stories of my own life that merged. And like, it was all there. And so the publisher gets on and goes, this is farther along than most people who are like who are writing books, like whenever like it comes time, like that they, they don't even have this much done. He's like, you need to just write the damn book. I was like, all right, so. Signed with him, wrote the book, and it came out August 24th, 2021, this year. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, oh, that's really recent. Okay. Got it. There you uh, So uh, I want to talk about a few things because I'm actually in the book business myself. So overall, like any uh, information you can share with the audience, we have a lot of um, uh, people that want to become authors that listen to this show just because my background. Nice. Um, so what was the experience like for you, uh, as far as like the writing of the book publishing and like, now you're in the beginning stages of the marketing, I, I suppose. Yeah. Well, we actually, I mean, to be honest, we, the, the, the book's out is done. We've been, yeah, we're building up and everything we we're, we did a launch. Right. And then the idea is like, you don't let it just die. So we're going to go into like a, a free plus shipping or a, uh, buy the book free shipping. Right. Cause the goal is for the book to get out. Like that's the thing, get the book out into the world. And the process for me was smooth, man. I had uh, I had a really good publisher. I have a good ability to just structure time and write. I don't do, I'm not much of the writer's block kind of guy. 
So what ends up happening is I, I go in and I go, all right, what is the concept? I wrote the book. Here's how I wrote the book. I said, what are the concepts that got to go in the book? And then I said, okay, what are the stories? And then what data points or research have I done? And I just had three little segments and I ordered, I put in order the concepts of how I would flow them out so you'd understand it. Then I said, what stories match and what data points go in there that can be woven in through metaphors? So that was it. And then I just had, I think it was nine chapters, an epilogue and a prologue. I didn't even know what to write for a prologue. I just started writing. It was my first chapter. I, started, I literally just sat down and started telling a story about this guy, Ken, and his experience with his, his friend, Christine. That was it. I just started writing. And then it turned into like a really cool, interesting story for the whole book to begin with, then the book. And what I did is I just, I would sit down and say, okay, here's the information for this chapter. I'm going to write this chapter today. And that was it. I just sat down and I just put headphones in and went to work and I would just write the chapter. And it was, each chapter is about 5,000 words, I want to say. Okay. And, and it wasn't, I mean, it probably, I mean, maybe four hours a day at most. At most, I mean, I, I can't even fully recall somewhere shorter, but it was just 10 days of writing. I would just sit down and, and just write. And that was it. The book writing process was not difficult, but I can tell if somebody is like struggling to write or uh, they don't focus very well, how it could be really, really hard. Yeah, of course. And then as far as like the um, like editing and stuff, was there a lot that got changed or did it like, was it pretty similar to how it was originally? It was fairly similar. There's, I mean, there's a couple of things got taken out, but nothing, nothing big, to be honest. For the most part, it was, uh, it was just like having, like adjusting some of the flow so that whenever people would read it, they would understand which one went before which. Like we had to adjust the structure a couple of times of like, well, this concept would be better before this one to make this one make sense. Because the way I explain it, I don't like to go in and just write randomly. I want to make sure you're, you're obviously developing some conceptual understanding throughout as it progresses. So that was kind of the hardest part, but it wasn't anything to do with like, you know, this chapter sucks, take this one out. It was more of like, what order? Mm -hmm. Got it. And then the subtitle was like how, or upgrade how you operate life, right? Upgrade how you operate to elevate your life. To elevate your life. So yeah. I guess... Uh, I like to kind of walk through the steps and obviously we want to leave some uh, curiosity so people get, the book. <laughs> but like, if, if I guess if somebody were to come to you and just be like, Hey man, like I'm lost. Like how, how do I upgrade my life? Like what, um, I guess, how would you help them? And I saw on your website too, there's, it, you, you seem to have like a four step uh, process. So maybe that the called the shift method. So maybe that's how you would engage that. Yeah, well, the shift method is, is the method, which you saw on the website, is kind of like the progression to walk through possibly working with, with that. But essentially yeah. what it is, it's, it's a method. It's in the back half of the book. And what I realized was people, while the concept can make sense, if I don't get you the tools to understand how to actually use the tools, and it's a way. So like, I'm like, you got to upgrade how you operate. So what I do is a back half is a method, and the method itself guides people through the process to, in fact, make the shift. And here's what the three steps are. They're fairly pretty simple. Uh, it's C, shift, sustain. It's not rocket science. It's not crazy. But you have to see, like, what you got to work on. Shift. Do the work to shift. And sustain it over time. You'll make it an identity shift. It, at face value, it sounds very, like, simple, right? But the reality is it's done properly. You get to this point where everything, like, you get to, our company's vision is to help people get to a, an internal limitless state of ridiculous power. Mm. Like, I want you to have this, like, this dopeness that's oozing from you, right? And I realize that if your identity doesn't match your dream, then you don't realize the dream. Or if you do, it'll be short-lived because it was accidental because it's not who you are to maintain it or build to it. And so for me, if I can give you a process where you can 
proactively go out there and do the right things to allow yourself to make the shifts. So you can have the stuff you want, then it's a great tool. But that, that was really where the shift method came into play. It was like, how do I codify this for humans to go apply? Got it. So let's say you have a, um, you have a goal that you want to hit. What is your um, method or like, how, how do you look at it and reverse engineer it to, to hit it? Because I feel like you're at a point mentally, and I, I feel like I am actually too now where it's, I think people's biggest struggle a lot of times is they want to do things. And then it's like they try. And then mm-hmm. like, even the word try to me doesn't even um, connect anymore. Like I'm just, I'm either going to do something or I'm not, but I, I think like 90% of people are still like, well, I tried, but I just, I didn't have enough time or I didn't make it. So it's yeah. like, when you want to, when you have a goal and you want to hit it, I guess, you know, you're like tunnel vision. Is that kind of what you. Uh, to, the, to an extent, I don't know if it's tunnel vision per se. I do when it turns, it, well, I guess for me, when I look at what I want to create, the, the thing is I'm trying to not look at what do I have to do? I think that's the problem we start with. We go, what do I have to do? And when you think about what you have to do, it becomes stuff where it feels out of character and you don't know why you're doing it. It's very difficult, so it's short-lived. And so I go, okay, as opposed to asking me what I have to do, who is the kind of person that has that thing? Because if I can find who that person is and take a look at what makes them them, it will allow me to step back into a space where I'll, in fact, be able to essentially naturally do the things that that person would do so I can have the stuff I want. It, mm-hmm. It's because I think we're in its world now, I call it the epidemic of shelf esteem. As an author, you get this, like people buy books, they put them on the shelf, they never uh, consume it, let alone apply the information within it. So they never have the result and they go, why well, don't I have the results? Well, it's because you aren't the person to do anything with it. And if you do consume it, let's say you do consume it, very little people apply it. They might once or twice, right? So what I've realized, it's not what you know, because we are in a world and a time where there is more than enough information. It's not what you know. It is who you are with what you know. And mm. if you're the right person to wield that tool, you get what that happens. You come to the outcome of you. You get the thing, right? You, it's just, but if you aren't that person, it doesn't matter what you know, it'll never come to pass. Yes, I agree. And I think it's like timing as well. Like it, that's why I think it's interesting about books is like you can read a book at a certain time and it can have an impact, but reading it at a different time, it could have a complete shift in your life. Like yeah. for me, an example of that, have you heard of the four hour work week by Tim yeah. Ferriss? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. So like I read that book when I was 19 and I always knew I wanted to run my own business. So after reading that, I dropped out of school two weeks later. Right. And like, I think about that book, not the information in it was invaluable. Right. But it was also the timing, the mm. timing that I read it. If I hadn't read it, I don't know if me and you would be talking today. Right. Like I, cause I don't know if I would have like, like made the leap. Um, yeah. So it's interesting how like a book can really, if, you, if I trace it all back, that was the foundation. That was the start of my entrepreneurial career. So mm. interesting. Uh, books can really, can really have an impact. Um, yeah. So with this, um, I'm just curious. So like on the shift method, it goes in and then choose a program. What like different types of help do you guys uh, do with people? Is it like one-on-one group coaching or how does that work? Yeah, we, it's group. Uh, I don't, I very rarely do one-on-one and I don't think that most people need one-on-one. I think that there is a human connection that we actually need to get to the next level. The, the humans we get to be in community. I believe we need people in process. That's my big thing. 
So I, I look at the idea of how do I get people to have what I call your zone identity, like to have that identity that matches the dream? How do I know what that looks like to get into it? Then I go, okay, great. Well, what is the skill set that I need to get there? Because that skill set will help me get there and develop more income and more time, freedom, and more joy, right? So I call the skill set visioneering because most people have a dream, but no vision. They, they know the city, but not the address. You know, like it's, I got an idea. <laughs> You're uh, good with visuals, man. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> visuals help. It makes my brain work better that way. So, I I was, yeah. so then I'm like, all right, well, the thing is, so I feel like people don't know how to engineer a vision very well. It's no clear cut way of engineering a vision. And if they do, very few people also have the ability to engineer a path to get there. I watch people buy planners all the time who have no idea how to plan. Mm-hmm. I got a planner. What do you want you're doing? No. So you can't even engineer the path to get there. So visioneering is it's process and people. That's how you build a skill set. So the first part is like when we do our coaching programs, I need you around other people because you need to have people celebrate you. People poke you when you need to be poked, keep you accountable. You need that. And then you need to have process because if you have people, but no process, you can get a whole lot of hubbub and celebration, but then no way to get there. If you have process, but no people, then you have a process that'll work, but no support, no celebration, no accountability. You'll fall by the wayside. So for me, the people is the coaching programs we have and the process is the shift method. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree on all of that. It's accountability, I think, is one of the biggest things, especially if you're trying to do anything like freelance or entrepreneurship, because it can get lonely in the beginning because it's just you. Um, and that for me was pivotal as well. When I was younger, I I lived in it. We called it entrepreneur house with six other guys when I dropped out and it was seven of us all in this house. And we all, we actually had a, um, it was a Google sheet, uh, that was live. Right. And we would put our weekly goals and then we all learned it from four hour work week. If, uh, stakes, right. So like, if you don't complete the goal, then like you have to do all the cleaning for the house that week, or you have to pay someone a hundred bucks, which, you know, a hundred bucks when I was 19, that was a lot of money. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it is though. Yeah. And it's, you know, so, so I was like, um, yeah, I was like, there was no chance I wasn't going to hit the goals because I had stakes. I had accountability and even more than the stakes. It was just like, would you really on our weekly meeting on Sundays, would you want to show up to that with six other guys that you live with and be like, nah, man, couldn't make it this week. Like, dude, you're not, you're not going to do that. So it's like, you can set your environment up. So you almost can't fail. Um, yeah which is yeah. kind of, I think, what your group coaching is doing in a sense. It's designed, yeah, it's designed in that specific way. Because again, yeah, without that, you are struggling. And so yeah. it's, and it is, I mean, a lot of people get stuck there for a lifetime. You know, it's the hard part about it. They'll get there and they won't do very much and then just done. And, and I realized like, man, that's not the, uh, not the way to go, man. You definitely want to be able to, to lean on people because most people have interesting perspectives and stories that will benefit us. Like I'm, I'm big on a daily process called shift S H I F T and the F in there is find joy and it's finding joy portion. It's actually borrowing it from other people when you don't have it and, and finding out how to navigate situations better from individuals who have done it before, or who would see a way to do it different than yours. That gives you the aha moments that allow you to pursue something bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see what you mean. And I, I've never heard of it that way. I like that. Like do you say stealing it from others. I say borrow. Stealing oh, is one thing. Well, no, no, no. I mean, that sounds bad, but it's it, it's not a bad thing, actually. But yeah, I know yeah. you, I know what you meant. Um, so that's so interesting. So it's almost like, could you do you mean in a way of like looking at others that are happy and just kind of like like getting that energy from them in a sense? 
Uh, well, you go around it. How, think about any time you've ever been, let's say, around like friend in a bad mood that are that they're in a good mood. They don't let you be. They don't let you wallow. They go, hey, come on, let's go, man. Hey, Tyler, let's go to work, man. Quit, quit, quit Let's go out. Let's go for a walk. Let's go to a meal, right? They, <laughs> they, they don't. They don't go like, oh, it is sad. Yeah, Tyler, I'm gonna cry with you. They don't do that. So, but here's the thing: is that would help us, but most of us we don't want to burden happy people with our disdain and our unhappiness. So we don't go around them. And so we avoid and we actually, we get less of what we really need, which is human connection. So when I say borrow joy, go around. The reason I say borrow is because at some point you will give it to somebody else. They can borrow it from you. Ah, I see. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so uh, for you personally, I want to dive in a little bit more. Like how does it, like what's your typical week, like morning, morning routines? Cause even going back to your uh, book, like, that is impressive. I was like, that's definitely, you're an outlier in that. Um, meaning because of the work that I do, like people really struggle writing books. Uh, for I, know, I, hear, I hear it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Like it's one of the, I, I, it's like one of the hardest things I think next to like public speaking, it might be like out really? there. Like, I think they say like, there's a stat out there read like more people are afraid of public speaking than like dying. Like it's that fearful for people. Like, yeah, I've heard it, of that. Yeah, I think I can't remember, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what the quote was. Um, so, yeah, like, what does it look like for you? How do you like balance with everything that you're doing, family and and everything else? Uh, I think the way that I look at it is what's most important and what gets to vote with my time. Uh, okay. And what I've noticed is that essentially. People do not live in congruence with the words they state out loud. That's the kind of thing I've noticed. It's, uh, it's like, I want, here's the, I want to, I, I'm a family man, do my whole thing. But some people I've found that it, even as family being a priority, that they don't know how to want to be with their family. Mm. That makes sense, right? Like, so like when I was younger and I just wanted to work, I wanted to build my empire. Like I wanted to, I wanted to be a good dad who, who was present, but I, I didn't want to be present. It's very weird. I wanted to want to be with my kids because when I was with them, like I would be focused on work and I, I, like I love them. I mean, I love them, but like I was still thinking about work and I wanted to get that project done and I want to create that thing. And it's an open loop. And I found that for me, like I need to get to the point of being a pause and go, okay, why don't I want to be here and actually spend time developing that kind of muscle. But there's always this edge of ebb and flow. And so when I know what my, what my vote is, like I want to be a family that takes the most precedence. Like I'm in what I call season of dad right now, which means for me, Things that I decide have to be in line with the decision to be a great dad. So I don't take many trips that I, I travel away too often. Um, I'm not actually going the route of, you know, taking on a whole bunch of business stuff in the back end of the day, like two thirty, three o'clock hits. I'm done. I coach my kids football team, all these things. So like, I don't, I don't think it's balanced. I think we all go at one speed, but we put too many things to the wrong thing on our plate. It's like going to get a, a meal and your mom says, get a balanced plate. And you throw all the hamburger helper on there and you have no veggies. <laughs> like, bro, you got to put some veggies on there. You got to put something else. But the, the, you're going to eat. You got the same room in your belly. You're just choosing the wrong stuff to go on there. Mm -hmm. No, that makes complete sense. So, um, and also I remember you, what you said your mission was. But as far as like overall goal with your book and the business, like, where do you, I guess, have you looked out like 10, 20 years? Like, wh where do you see that? Uh, you know, 10, 20 years is far. It's, it's pretty far. 
That is it, very smart. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I, I don't even know. To be honest, I didn't know that this industry I'm in existed until 2014. That's not even a decade. Yeah. I, I didn't know that this whole thing where you go and talk for a living, didn't know. Legit, didn't write books. I'm talking about, I can't write a book, you know? That's, <laughs> I was, 10 years ago would be 2011. No lie, 20, 2011, like, I was, I was the down and out, bro. I was like edge of divorce. I think it was like, I think I would just filed for divorce that year. I was living in a 500 square foot studio apartment with all three of my kids in an air mattress next to my twin size bed. And I'm a six foot two, 230 pound man. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's wow. weird. Yeah. And, and now I'm here. So you asked me 10 years from now, but I have no idea. I might be on the day of moon for all I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's but or Mars. It's very possible. Yeah, dude, it's, it's no. But I think for me, if I'm, <laughs> If I go 10 years, I'll be almost 50. And that'll put me in a position where like my kids will have been, I'll be empty nester. My kids will been out of the house for probably a good five-ish years. And that means I get, I'm traveling the world. You know what? If it's 10 years, my kids should have to call me to find out where I'm at in the world. I like it. That's, That's good. Cool. Yeah. Like you should, you should be like, where's pops? I don't know. Let's, let's look up. Where's my wife? Well, they're the they, guys. They're over in China right now. <laughs> they're doing their thing in thailand i don't know but that's my world but i'm still speaking and talking and coaching just maybe not as uh, hands-on as i am right now gotcha so i want to dive a little deeper into it because i actually didn't realize that part of your story there so um uh, two things uh one is with your marriage like i guess um as deep as you're w willing to go but like how what was going on and then how did you fix it is more of the bigger question and um, then you're good no, I say, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So that, and then I'm curious, like, what the shift was to go from that 500 square foot apartment um, to where you are now, or, and not even that long to where you are now, but like, it seems like you were in a rough spot and then you made a decision to get to where you are now. So I guess, like, what did that look like? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it's uh, a lot of sucky work, man. That's how it worked, right? It's just a lot of sucky work. <laughs> So essentially, I guess when you look at the gist of it, I didn't like who I was. I wasn't a good dude, man. I just wasn't. So I was in that funky place. I was, I, had to, I you know, I would go to the gym in the mornings and train clients and go back and drink a six pack of Blue Moon and then go back to the gym later on and be like, get in shape. <laughs> That's awesome. Did it, it wasn't a real good, it wasn't a real good thing. But yeah. I woke up one day uh, <laughs> and my mom had passed away in 2014. It was like really, it was, it was, it was unsettling, man, because my, adoptive mom is legit the reason why i'm not like a criminal and doing crazy stuff right so mm -hmm. i get to this point where uh essentially i wake up new year's day next to some strange russian woman who didn't even speak english and she wasn't strange but like i just known her through google translate you know it was a very just a physical lustful relationship we'll call it and and what ended up happening was i just felt really ashamed of myself like I have a daughter and two boys and I'm like, I would never want my daughter to be with a man like me. I would never want my boys to be like me. My mom would not approve and my God ain't let me into heaven. It was like, this really weird. Like this is not a good human. And the, so that was the thing that like unsettled me enough to start figuring out what is the problem. And here's the thing I realized I am the common denominator in all of my problems, whether I allow it or create it, I'm the common denominator. I'm involved, right? So when you, when you finally have that realization, you get to a point now of like, all right, dude, I got to figure this whole thing out. 
and it gets difficult and it gets hard. And, and so like, you have to actually face parts of yourself you don't want to face. And my biggest shifts came because of my biggest ownerships. Like, I got to go in and say like, here's where I suck. Here's what I got to improve. This is what's got to be better. And that's what a lot of what I did. And the more I did that, the better it got, and the more it picked up and turned into something super cool, man. So that was, that was how the world kind of transpired for me of just like going in and, and sucking as a husband, as a father, and just building it better over time. Got it. Yeah. No, I haven't. I'll have to try that sometime. I had never uh, blue moon as a post-workout. It sounds like it might. Oh, it wasn't a post-workout. It was like, that was my in-between clients. I owned a gym for a decade. So oh, okay. Yeah. So we skipped over a big part of your life. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. Yeah. When I got out of the NFL, my degrees in, because I left the NFL on an injury. And so my degrees in kinesiology, I was like, well, how about I go ahead and just open a gym? you know, novel idea for an athlete. Cause you know, they don't ever do that. They don't get into fitness. <laughs> so uh, I did it. And I, and I just, I just was in a bad place in life while doing this thing. And I would legit go to the gym in the morning, do morning clients. And I would go back cause people don't work out in the middle of the day. You know, it's like morning or night. Yeah. And, and so I, uh, yeah, I would just go home. Like, what am I going to do? Oh, drink some beers. <laughs> so I just drink a bunch of beers and no one knew. And only I knew I would go to the store, get a six pack and go home. And I would, cause you got like three hours, four hours in the middle of the day. I could put a six pack away and be good for work. Like, yeah. I you know, know. Cause if I, if I get done like 10 o'clock, I, I don't, like people don't come back until like three or four, yeah. you know, after school and everything, that's like five hours. Like, bro, I'll pound this six pack in the first hour. And by the time work comes back up, I'm sober <laughs> and then I go back <laughs> and I tell, I tell you how to get in shape. You know, it's just, it was really, it was, a, but it was a funky place. I was living out all of my insecurities and sadness and all that stuff through, you know, just this, these moments of time. Yeah. And just two things I wanted to reiterate on what you said, because they were like good one liners. Um, one was like your biggest shifts were the things you took ownership with. You said it better than I just repeated it, but that, that was good. And then the um, the um, oh, what was the other one that you said that was good? That was before that. Oh, you're the common denominator in all of your problems. That's so I think, yeah, that's a good, that sounds like a quote. So if it's not out there yet, you should take that. <laughs> I should do it. Yeah, take that one. Um, so, so yeah, man, I want to, if there's anything else you want to share, please do. I, I want to leave the floor to you and then also let people know like websites, socials, where the book is and, and all yeah. that. The floor is yours. Totally. Yeah, man. Uh, that book is at www.identityshiftbook.com. Uh, you can go there and, and if you get the book and come back there with the code, if you go to step three, you can put the code in there. We'll call it live L I V E and you get a free digital book, free audio book and a free workbook to go along with it. And then if you want to follow along, just go to Anthony trucks on Instagram. Perfect, man. Thank you again for coming on the show. Hey, welcome, man. Thanks for having me, bro.